On this episode, we discuss Castle Freak. Wait, for real? Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh man, I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen, everybody's favorite child trapped in an adult's body. And we've got a guest tonight. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, Joe Bob Briggs. Oh wow, a celebrity. Amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> this is awesome. What am, I, what have I signed that. up for here? <laughs> oh man, this, you this don't is even already know. menacing. <laughs> I think the fact that you are in a you're in a uh, lonely man's house prowled where a cat is prowling, mm-hmm. and also that he made you introduce yourself rather than introducing our amazing special guest <laughs> yeah, that sure. deserves like a build up and things like that. Yes, right. and a part of Brooklyn that I would have to fight my way out of, like uh-huh. like the Warriors. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He arrived in a car, and I could I could see him struggling for his face not to fall as he realized <laughs> he was just walking into some dude's apartment. Yep. Yeah. Not a as he. Some kind of fancy studio, mm-hmm. yeah, and in in a in a part of the city that he had thought had been turned into a maximum security prison long ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, come on, uh, Stuart. So this is a, a movie that uh, okay. <laughs> Wait, so can, we, can we like can we like build up our guests? Oh yeah, sure. Bit? Hold on, Damn. that's a come on. That's an important thing. Yeah, this is this is this is someone whose work has meant a lot to me mm-hmm. in growing up. Uh, I was a real uh, devout Monster Vision v- watcher uh, back when it was on and, uh, a, you know, reader of your columns and your reviews. And just like it's very exciting to me to have you on the show. It's I'm just super excited about it, which is why this is the first time I regret leaving New York City and having to do the podcast via Skype from Los Angeles. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Um, it's amazing how many people remember that Monster Vision show because it was on at no particular time in the middle of the night <laughs> and uh um and we just kind of like continued uh, you know the i guess the rules of tv were different in those days yeah and as long as we were finished by 6 a.m they didn't care what we did <laughs> and so uh sometimes the show ended at 4 30 sometimes it ended at two you know we just yeah. we just talked until we were done sort of like your oh, show oh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, now you're getting it. <laughs> no, that, was, uh, that was actually kind of my favorite era of like television when cable first was kind of around and they were like, okay, we've got all these channels. We're not quite sure how to fill the time. So I don't know, comedy comedy channel. I'm just going to put a bunch of clips of random stuff on the air. USA, I'm going to put TNA movies on late at night. Like uh-huh. It's just like, let's, let's fill the time however we possibly can. And like that was so much fun. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was the era when you could take a videotape and insert it into a weird opening in your stomach, right? <laughs> uh, for maybe like one person. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't give more of a build up. I'm so flustered by having an actual uh, guest of note that I I don't know how. You don't go out okay. often, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> Dan does better uh, not in person. 
I think, That's uh, true. but you also don't do that great on Twitter. So I don't know. Okay, what's your... I don't understand what this dragging me about Twitter is. But... Dan is Dan's a real, Dan's real, his best stuff is via Telegram. Like he's, his best face is really via Telegram because mm-hmm. it's limited letters, but it also costs money. So he can't waste it on the kinds of jokes he does on Twitter for free. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, <laughs> I don't know. We're, this is turning into like our roast of Dan's Twitter feed, which lately <laughs> yeah, has yeah. just been. Particularly prolific and uh, of questionable quality. Yeah, I don't know what uh, started that. So uh, <laughs> okay. before we get into what this, what we actually do on this podcast, which is talk about a specific movie that we watched, uh, what? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, why we chose uh, Castle Freak, the movie that we're reviewing today. I know why I would want to watch it because uh, we recommend movies on this podcast. And out of the, two, we've done what, like 290 episodes, something like that, Dan? Uh, a little less, but I you're feel around, like I've recommended it 290 times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm with you. I, I've uh, uh, I've always thought it was underappreciated. Yeah. And of the of the three big uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, directed by Stuart Gordon movies. Yep. Which would which would be a Reanimator from Beyond and and Castle Freak, uh-huh. it's probably the least well-known. There are people who love those other two movies and then have never seen Castle Freak. Did, but but it, Castle Freak, is that the only one that didn't get a theatrical release? Um, I, I think it got a minor theatrical release, I think, uh, at I least. Think but not in the U.S. I'm pretty really? sure that's true. I'll look it up while you guys chat. Okay, well, I think the reason that it's not as beloved as yeah. the other two is that it's hardcore, nasty horror with no comic <laughs> oh. relief. You know, It's and so what, much rougher than the other movies. And yeah. From Beyond is a movie where Jeffrey Combs eats a man's eyeball out of his head <laughs> like this, but, and this but, is still somehow much rougher. But with humor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, with humor, yeah. From Beyond is, so much, is such a silly movie in a, yeah. in a great way. Oh, just because a man gets skeletonized by a cloud of bees? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was direct-to-video by Full Moon Home Video on... Mm-hmm. 97. 97. 97. Okay. I thought it was 95. I 95, guess they have trouble. It's, well, it's weird. Wikipedia trouble releasing has it. Conflicting information. Earlier it says 95 and then it says 97. Who would have thought that Maybe Wikipedia ni- was not a real, real, reliable, <laughs> I can't talk, reliable source? Maybe 95 was when it uh, it debuted at Con. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On the Palm Door. Well, yeah, it yeah, is the kind of movie. These movies were were starting to not get theatrical releases at all mm-hmm. uh, in the '90s, whereas uh, the, you know the other two movies were '85 and '86 when yeah. everything came out theatrically. Well, yeah. not everything, but and I was uh, I was really lucky a couple of years ago to get to host a screening of Castle Freak at the Alamo Draft House up in Yonkers, and they brought uh, they brought Jonathan Fuller, the actor who plays Giorgio ah, the Freak. He's, he is the Castle Freak. Yeah, and he was the nicest guy in the world, and he had all these great stories about running around in uh, Charles Band's castle that he owned and how they had to like they had a limited window to use the producer's castle before they use it for another one of his uh one of his movies um and also just like stories of wearing full body prosthetics uh and also he uh he clarified a couple important points for me which we'll get to i'm sure <laughs> but, yeah. but can i is it too premature to talk about the movie no no because, no What's, uh, jonathan no. fuller Talk about full body prosthetics. Usually when you put on the full body prosthetics, mm-hmm. that's it. That's the whole role. You know, you walk around in the full body prosthetics. Yeah. You know, he actually 
does acting mm. in the full body prosthetics. And it's it's a fully realized part. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, amazing. Just the physicality he brings to that role with his uh like from the way he walks to the way he holds his body to the weird like mumble sounds he makes, which Wait, I don't know if that was all ADR or not. The drool. There's more drool in this movie than any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, the, the, the costumer was like, uh, time to add some drool. He's like, yeah. nope, I'll make it myself. <laughs> Stuart Gordon was like, there's not enough goo in this movie, so let's add some drool. <laughs> well, it is. That's interesting you say that, Dan, because of, of those three uh, Combs Crampton movies that you mentioned, Joe, about they're, they're it's the they're all Lovecraft stories, but this is the one that's least like what we think of as a Lovecraft story. The other two are very like mad scientist and monster stories, and this is like more gothic. And I wonder if that's part of it that it's like there's not as much opportunity for goo in it. Well, you know? and part of it is that it's not really a Lovecraft story. I mean, it, um, <laughs> it's uh, like so loose. Tra- it's the same way that like uh, they do those old, old Edgar Allan Poe movies in the 30s, where they're like it's based on the Black Cat. Well, how is it based on the black cat? Well, there's a cat in it. Okay. (laughs) Well, and that's how this one happened. Uh, Charles Band had a poster. He made a poster. And he showed it to Stuart (laughs) Gordon. And he says, the name of the movie is Castle Freak. And Stuart Gordon said, what's the story? And he says, I don't know what the story is, but it has a castle and it has a freak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, well, I got to draw you yeah, a map. Like, Stuart- uh, I've already gotten a pre-order from one S. Wellington for a movie ticket. Yeah. So Stuart Gordon found the the only H.P. Lovecraft story that that could be possibly used for that, which was told from the point of view of the freak. Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, it's a story about it's you know, outsider, a guy right? who's it's never like... been out, who, who's been uh, imprisoned from birth, mm-hmm. and has never been outside. And then he gets he gets outside, and he terrifies himself when he looks in the mirror. And so that's basically it. That's the yeah. whole. That's the whole story. Yeah. Um, it's like, and so it's like Lovecraft was Lovecraft was reading Plato's uh, Parable of the Cave. <laughs> yes, in Lovecraft <laughs> form. He's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> um. So and then they they added the whole family plot and the mm-hmm. well I guess we're gonna go over the plot right yeah so I mean it, I don't know the rest uh, of it was was um, yeah I don't think the, there was a probably a drunk driving dad uh, sequence <laughs> in the Lovecraft story yeah. but we'll find out well before we get into the movie like I, I actually I feel like we haven't done we've done our guests a disservice uh, before we'll we'll plug multiple again. times sure we'll we'll plug again later. <laughs> We'll, we'll plug. Yeah, in. we should we should talk about what the guest is we'll, here. To, we'll plug why, again why later. But uh, Joe Bob showed this movie on Shutter, and the fact that he's he's on Shutter showing movies is the reason that we've tricked him into coming to my apartment. Uh-huh. So <laughs> we should just advertise Shutter and uh, his involvement thereof. Yeah, wait, right now or later? I mean, just now. We, I'm just mentioning it now, and then we can you know. We actually showed it on the very first week of the series because. I was a and, fan. And just plug the name of the series, sir. It's called The Last Drive-In on Shutter. I don't care if we plug it or not. But, we, but, <laughs> but the first, but the first, you just you just hope you get out of this alive. Yeah, that's no, all that matters. No, the first week they wanted to show Chud, uh-huh. and I oh. hate Chud. Yeah. So we did we did show Chud as the first movie, and I said we got to redeem ourselves with something for the second movie. You know, they like movies that are not you know extremely well known. Yeah. And Daniel Stern uh, just unsubscribed from our podcast. <laughs> now, now I need to find out why. You, I mean, Chud is not great. Now, what why are you, you hate Chud? Yeah, so what are, much. And what are your feelings on Chud? You know, too, I don't, the, the only Chud. kind of the only well, the only well, you know, <laughs> oh, come on, please. You know, but the only the only movies that I really despise are movies where 
the people who make the movie seem to be superior to the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Chud is the ultimate Shakespeare in the park people slumming <laughs> uh-huh. in the horror world. You know, it's, you know, remember, remember the homeless woman who goes down in the tunnel uh-huh. at the very beginning? Yep. That's Norman Mailer's wife, okay? Uh-huh. You know, if Norman Mailer's wife is in the movie, you know, it's yeah. not made by normal people. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's actually like, yeah, there's a certain amount of like contempt for the audience, I guess. Or is it contempt yeah, for the material? I mean, it, was, it, was, it was conceived at a Soho party, uh-huh. you know, and the idea, they came up with the, with the cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers uh-huh. they came Which up with the acronym Chud. and developed the whole movie around that idea and but 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 you know even if you like the movie it's like where are the chuds yeah. where are the Barely chuds in it. I mean, not a lot how of much chud. chud action is in, this, in that movie in yeah. 30 seconds of glowing yellow uh-huh. eyes that look like they're on a you know, a toy. For the first time in horror history, the poster promised something it did not deliver. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when the chuds eat John Goodman <laughs> in the diner? You don't even see the chuds. Yeah. I, mean, the, <laughs> yeah. I think you see a quick hand of a chud or something well, coming out of a manhole cover. Well, this is if America's coming to the movies like, I came to see chuds, as if they knew what chuds were like, before I, the movie. I haven't been this disappointed since Hot Dog, the motion picture. Uh, hello, 911, I'd like to report a murder. The movie Chud has been killed. If you if you ask if you ask uh, nerd heads from the 80s, uh-huh. you know, what what do you like about chud? They always say, well, remember that box? Remember that video box? Yeah. They say, Okay, so you like the video box. Yeah. You know, presumably you took the video box home, took the video out of the box, uh-huh. and watched the movie. You know, the, yeah. yeah, but that box, that box, it was so great. You remember uh-huh. that box? You know, I don't understand loving a movie based on the box. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's well, that like is why a, I love Have you ever munchies. seen the movie Cyberkill? Uh, no, can you describe the box for me? It's this movie that HR HR Giger did the cover did the art for it. Uh-huh. But it's this but it apparently he got tricked into doing it. And it the movie bears is this super low budget thing where the mutants in it are like they're just people in punk outfits basically. Uh-huh. And it's really terrible. And I remember when I was young I saw that box and I was like, Oh, this must be like alien. This is gonna be amazing. And it was terrible. And it was like a real part of me died that day. Okay, but see sense, that's but that's a real reaction to False advertising. Some uh-huh. people love the box so much that they continue to love the movie even after, even even after it's this even <laughs> it's after a real stinker, yeah. And that's like that a, seems to be the case with Chud. Yeah. And they love the title. They love to say Chud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was, when I was a kid, I went to the video store and I was fascinated by the the box for blood sucking Nazi zombies because it's called blood sucking Nazi zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then years it's later, I saw it and I'm like, no, no, thank you, no, thank you, friends. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the biggest uh, disappointment for me was I love the box art for Deep Star 6, and I feel like mm-hmm. that movie isn't as good as the box art, but maybe I'm just being overly critical because I love the like the like diving suit ripped in half in the middle of a like so many questions for my young mind. Mm-hmm. Should we finally get into the movie, though? That's, okay, uh, let's dig in. Okay, let's, what movie are we doing now? We're doing a movie <laughs> called Castle Freak starring <laughs> oh, well, right. Jeffrey Combs and Barbara I'm not, Crampton. I'm not familiar with it. Okay, not well, it. you're gonna uh, you're supposed to watch it, Elliot. That's this kind of your job. Uh, <laughs> Wait, but I don't because what do we do on this podcast? I'm I'm unfamiliar. Dan, we watch normally a bad movie and then we talk about it. Well, we won't we won't judge Castle Freak though. Yeah, we're gonna flip the script because we're watching a good movie and we're yeah. talking about that. 
So the movie opens <laughs> with an old woman pouring milk for a cat. <laughs> as, as all the best stories do. Yep. She then starts chopping up a sausage in what oh, appears I, wait, to be I to foreshadowing. The movie I was thinking of, sorry, Stuart, I had to interrupt. The movie I was thinking of was called Future Kill. Future Kill. Yeah, I did see Future Kill. (laughs) I did see Future Kill. (laughs) And you're absolutely right. It is extremely disappointing. Uh, So we we have an old lady feeding a cat, cutting up a sausage, and we realize that she lives (laughs) in a castle. Wow. Uh, She walks down. delivered on one thing already. Yep. She walks down into the dungeon. We see a lot of cat acting. Uh, The movie kind of takes its time and uh, makes a point of kind of showing you, like, the, her journey from kitchen into the dungeon. It, uh, and the we see a very good cat actor. He's amazing, or she's amazing. I can't tell. Um, she opens up a cell in the basement, and she begins beating somebody that's trapped down there that she calls Giorgio. Uh, she beats him with, like, a chain whip or, like, mm. a chain cat of nine tails. cat of nine tails, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is like weird because she she already has a cat with a tail there, so that's a cat of ten tails, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and she does, such and she's in, and she's in a cat stall. Right? So <laughs> yeah, that's just get true. That yeah, pun thank out of the you. Way. So she she beats him so hard that she goes back up to her bedroom with her cat of nine tails, gets in bed, and immediately dies. Now we have title. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's the complete performance of, of Helen Sterling, <laughs> okay, who was an yeah. English actress who played all the uh, English roles that came through Rome. She lived mm-hmm. in Rome her whole life. She's great. And uh, I'm sure when she heard she was playing the Duchess di Orsino or whatever, <laughs> she was like, oh, great. Uh, what? Uh, so after that classic cold open, we get some titles, and then we get one of those uh, tunnel irises as we are introduced to... <laughs> The heroes Very of, detailed, Stuart. <laughs> yep. The heroes of our movie, uh, John, Susan, and Rebecca, played by Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, and... Jessica Dollarhide. Thank you. First in a series of one movies for Jessica. This was her only movie? <laughs> I think it was her only well, movie. She's actually pretty good in it, but I imagine this experience might not be the best one for a young person. By the way, you keep dra- dragging my Twitter, but you know who follows my Twitter? Who? Miss Barbara Crampton. Oh, wow. I feel bad. That's I right. mean, you know, you can mute somebody without, without unfollowing them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, there it's a family of Americans who we learn have inherited a castle after an attorney or an investigator uh, had to do some research and track down who the inheritors of this castle are. The family who had owned the castle had uh, had been bankrupted or they lost all their money in the war. Um, so this uh, this family of Americans had to have to move in and uh, make a decision whether they're going to want to live in the castle or just sell it, which they decide to inventory it, uh, inventory the castle and sell it, which I've, I don't know the process of inheriting a castle. I guess that <laughs> makes never, sense. Never happened. To I would just, what, I, what I like is that uh, Jeffrey Combs is like, I guess I'll, I'll inventory it. I guess I'll, Let's search the castle for booty. He keeps calling it booty. But it's also like, I assume you'd hire a professional who could identify what all the things in the castle are. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just making a list that's just like old bed. This is before, okay. this is before Pawn old Stars, chair. dude. Pawn Stars. This is before Pawn <laughs> Stars or whatever yeah. those. So, so he's like, he would just bring each item one at a time into the pawn shop for Pawn Stars. It's like, I got a castle full of them. This is going to take a while. <laughs> 
We get I, little- I have a I have a question about that <laughs> that particular scene. Okay, the castle freak, uh-huh, yep. which we've seen, uh-huh, yep, uh, uh, being beaten with a cat of nine tails. Now, mm-hmm. the only the the woman who can give him sausage or whatever she was preparing for him, <laughs> yeah. she's she's gone. Yeah. Now there's got to be a period of time when her death is reported. Is she's her body is discovered? Her death uh-huh. is reported. Uh-huh. The attorney is hired. Sure. Yeah. The people are the Americans are contacted. <laughs> In whatever town that they live in, uh-huh. they go to JFK. <laughs> yeah. They've got to go to the travel agent. They, they, they to go to the, the travel tickets. agent. They go to JFK. They fly to uh, yeah, this Rome. Pre- pre- they, they, get the, they get the bus to the little town. <laughs> and wherever. Yeah. Probably the flight's no, delayed. No, no, no. They, they have a car. They have their own yeah, car, Yeah, they, right? they get a They're cab driving. driver drives. They, 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 uh, they, driver they is driving too fast. They, yeah, all right. They, 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 uh, they have a driver. Who takes him to the little town? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, why wouldn't the castle freak be dead by then? <laughs> I mean, I think it, it says something about his almost inhuman constitution. Yeah, that's what makes him a freak. It's not his appearance; it's his ability to. Because not nobody die. knows he's there except the old woman who just died, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's okay. a chance, and, and that, I assume the cat, and, and maybe the cat's and, giving him food, and, and, he, and he knows how to dodge inventory. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, I don't know what the bug situation is. Maybe he's been eating a lot of bugs. Oh, it's very I mean, that's one of those sort of like it's on. like I mean, at this point, like I'm gonna I'm gonna buy the movie asks for a certain amount of buy in. At this point, I'm with the movie. I'm okay. With it's, I'm, I'm gonna. I do remember some my- water dripping down a wall or something. Uh huh. Right? Yep. That's, yes. that's proof. Yeah, you can get moisture. That's cool. So HTO. I'm going to suggest much as some elephants to get the salt they need will go to salt caves and just lick the walls, <laughs> that Giorgio has found the nutrients he needs in whatever deposits have been left by the water dripping down those oh, walls. Oh, like some Maybe lichen? fungus of some kind yeah. Yeah. that he's been eating. Yeah, uh, and he's been eating like doozers and stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, he's eating fraggles, doozers, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever underground creatures or beings he can find. Yeah, maybe like uh, like someone from Pellucidar shows up and he eats them. Yeah, it's a huge mistake. Um, so we uh, were also introduced to uh, Agneza, the housekeeper, who is the sister of the attorney character, the investigator character. Um. I think we don't know that till later. Okay, that that's revealed yeah. a little bit later. So, right off the bat, we can tell that the relationship between John and Susan is chilly at best. Mm-hmm. He uh, after they speaking move into the chili, castle, yeah. S- speaking of chilly, uh-huh, Susan does okay. not want Rebecca to open the window of the car because it would be too cold for her, which is like a weird way of. Which is very protective in a strange way. Like you can't see. You'll get too cold if the car window is opened. You're very fragile. It's a. It's a. As a parent, I. I was confused by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Did, like, did we mention the daughter's blind? Is that uh, we we haven't out? mentioned that yet. Okay. Rebecca, the daughter oh, is she's blind. blind. I was going to mention it uh, after the flashback, okay. but I guess. Uh, I mean, I, di- I didn't want to highlight the the challenge of the two faces, but. Mm. Um, I guess it is a plot point. <laughs> no, 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 Stuart, you're right. We um, so, shouldn't. We should not define her by her by her handicap, but by who she is as a person. She shouldn't be defined. Which is by someone that. who's yep. very friendly and frequently will take off her shirt, you know, at an inopportune <laughs> time for some reason. <laughs> uh, so the the first evening, John goes to visit. He makes a late night call to his wife because they're sleeping in separate rooms, and. She is clearly not having it. We get a little bit of exposition here where we realize that he has had a drinking problem and that, uh, what, like six months, nine months, uh, some time ago, 
he had he had an episode and he has not been drinking since. She rebuffs his advances, aggressive as they are, and he goes to bed where he has a flashback dream. Mm. Uh, and in that dream, this is this is something that happens in movies a lot, but I've never had where your dream is just a thing that happened to you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like, certainly it, haven't happened. I had that happen un like molested by my like weird subconscious. You know, uh-huh. it doesn't happen <laughs> literally as it happened to me in the past. You know, uh-huh. so I wonder if do you think what he's remembering is slightly different than what actually happened? Like, there's some dreamlike element to it, or it's just it seems like a straightforward memory. I mean, yeah. the the idea is that I, I feel like that what we're seeing isn't actually going on in his head. He's just having a horrible nightmare similar to the dream, but we see the flashback because we need to know that information. Oh, okay. That's fair. Uh-huh. In the dream he's having, he's actually running away from uh, Grimace from McDonald's. <laughs> uh, but in the in the in the flashback, we get some but, great. Uh, Grimace is also somehow his principal from elementary school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's not wearing yeah. any pants. Well, of course he's not. He's Grimace. Yeah. Why would he wear pants? That'd be crazy. <laughs> it would be horrifying. Grimace would be creepier what, with pants. How does on. he wear pants? Does he put them on his head? <laughs> but the, it's like, uh, if if Grimace suddenly started wearing pants, you'd be like, wait, should you have always been wearing? pants? Pants? Like this is wait. Where's your waist, Grimace? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the true otherworldly horror that we're talking about. Um, so we get uh, so in this flashback, we get some great uh, Jeffrey Combs drunk acting, where he's driving in the rain with his daughter and his young son JJ, and he has my favorite line reading of the movie, where he goes. Everything okay back there, JJ? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of course, very quickly, everything is not okay as uh, Jeffrey Combs flips the car, uh, his young son is killed, and his daughter is blinded in the accident. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there, we have the tragic backstory. Yeah. That's maybe why his wife's a little peeved. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely why she is, Dan. Did you not pick up on that? And I mean, <clears throat> this uh, this car accident is, I'm, I'll, I'll admit, probably not the most exciting car accident I've seen in cinema. But, you know, whatever. They're <laughs> making do with what, what cash they had. It gets the story across. Um, but he is awoken from this flashback dream to a child's voice. And he goes and explores the castle and finds a really cool wine cellar, which is important because he's an alcoholic. So he picks up a, a bottle of wine, breaks it and cuts his hand. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you do when you go to find it, when you find a dope wine cellar, <laughs> this is when while cleaning his hand, he runs into uh, Agneza and Agneza has, uh, pours a glass of wine for housekeeper. Him. Yeah. She's the housekeeper and she pours a glass of wine for him and her. He declines it because he's bleeding and he realizes he's an alcoholic and she <laughs> relates the tragic story of the castle. Um, I think this is the first time we get the tragic story of the castle. In this in this version, we hear the Duchess D'Orsino. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's correct. I might be messing that up. Who is who's the lady? The lady who fed the cat at the beginning. Yeah, right? and and beat the man. I mean, I think beating the man yeah. is the more notable thing. She <laughs> <did>. <laughs> yeah, but no, she's I, a good I cat I was first mom. introduced to her as a woman who feeds cats, yeah. so I guess that's just my impression of her always. <laughs> we find but out. Yes, yeah, she also she also horribly beat a, a man she kept in a cell in the bottom of a castle. Yeah, Elliot. Too. Elliot, yeah. much like a former coworker of ours, she loves cats, hates people. Wow, Dan, that was so what a what a passive aggressive attack at someone who will never hear this and nobody knows except us. <laughs> Very specific <laughs> joke at someone's expense that the audience will not 
appreciate. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll certainly think less of you for it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to say, sure, she keeps her, as we learn, her son a prisoner for years and years in a cell. She beats him with a whip. But let's not forget the good things about her. She takes good care of her cat, uh-huh. and that's something I think should be in, when her. Heart is weighed by Anubis in the afterlife. <laughs> yep. Perhaps perhaps her service to her cat will help her get to that point where it's not as heavy as a feather and she can go to wherever the good people go in ancient Egypt. I don't remember where it was. That's a good point, Elliot. Thanks for making it. Um, so, so, By the way, the, house, the housekeeper who comes with the inherited house yep. is, an, is an idea that was um, uh, first done in 13 Ghosts where um, – <laughs> Where uh, the Wicked Witch of the West was the housekeeper. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, Margaret Oh, Hamilton. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and this isn't the, the later remake of 13 Ghosts, right? Well, no, the original William Castle, the original William Castle 13 Ghosts, um, which is a, a convenient, I, 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 never, I, I never quite understood why personnel would be part of the inventory, but it seems to be a, 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 common, a common thing in horror films. It's like, well, my contract was with the house, not with any individual human being, so... I have, just... I have ominous tidings to bring. <laughs> I mean, in a way, like uh, when, uh, when, when Trevor Noah took over for Jon Stewart, he inherited me, and I've been haunting him ever since. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very true. Good point. That's a, she, no, that's she, a cool she, way she, to slip where you work right there. I mean, I don't think there's anyone listening who doesn't realize uh, that's that. That's true, I think maybe she works for the exposition temp agency, providing <laughs> household staff who can give tell you what's going on in the movie for decades. And, um, she, and she's so she's uh, she's about to be the third exposition device. Yeah. <laughs> a, after the flashback dream. Yep. And the and now relating the the yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the 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 sad the tale story of, the of, the, of the house itself. Oh, or the Duchess. So is that. The the family's last name is it Riley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, John okay, and Susan ke- and Rebecca Riley. Jeffrey Combs keeps saying, "Welcome to Castle Riley," and I'm like, "That can't be the name of the castle, right? Uh-huh. Like it's an Italian castle." Like, he's just <laughs> but, like, if it's called Castle Riley, there's a there's a whole backstory there that I need to know. Yeah, we and I feel like the movie Ireland. doesn't need to get involved in. <laughs> it all started in the Hundred Years' War. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, so yeah the the backstory so the backstory shifts uh, over because we hear a couple different versions of it but I believe it's a regular Rashomon I, I believe yeah. the one she gives explains that the Duchess fell in love with an American maybe an American soldier and he got her pregnant and then he ran off and in her anger she uh, at losing her husband she killed her young son Giorgio correct okay. And at that point, you're like, but wait a minute. The guy she was beating in the basement was called Giorgio. <laughs> what? <laughs> Must be a coincidence. Okay. So. Wait. And I also, the other thing I would say. Is this where they go to say, the tomb of Giorgio? That's, I think that's a little bit later. Okay. That if, if it was, because I missed that she was supposed to, I thought he just died. She was supposed to have killed the son or. In, then in the first. In like, the first. Why is she not in jail? Well, I mean, because she's the Duchess, dude. She makes all the rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it works. You're a Duchess. Well, we'll get to that later. So uh, the next morning. Uh, oh, but she she also says people think the castle is haunted because they hear creepy sounds. Uh-huh. In that, in like, the castle. like a child crying. And Jeffrey Combs mm-hmm. looks off and he's like, a child crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so the next morning, uh, John and Rebecca are, uh, 
set off to do inventory despite uh, Susan's protests because she is very nervous that her daughter will be injured because he has not proven himself a very good caretaker. Uh, so they wander around the house and this is another time where we see, uh, we get, you know, some glimpses at this beautiful house that Charles band owns, uh, and a nice collection of paintings that include a ton of like (laughs) scary kids and like a painting of Saturn eating his young and stuff. Yes. All these like baby related. It's all like memento mori, like, like skull paintings and stuff. Uh It's like Charles band on brand. (laughs) Like the guy loves death stuff. Uh, so they find it would be it would be really funny if they were walking around the castle and Charles Band's family photos were still up in the hallways. Like <laughs> they didn't have the money to take these down and redress the set. Just like say that there's somebody who used to live in the castle. I don't know. Yeah, like a like a set decorator went to take a photo down. Like mm, no, I'm, you're not union. You can't take that down. You got to leave that up. <laughs> no, there's all these full moon posters up on the walls. Like yeah, well, I guess she was a big fan of the amazing films that come out of Phil Moon's studios, like Puppet Master, etc. Um. <laughs> So, uh, so they like they find a creepy nursery with a bunch of like just dolls hanging. They find like a rocking horse. They find the Duchess's bedroom where we get a big clue here. Uh, John finds underneath the bed. He finds that gross cat of nine tails, <laughs> and he does exactly what you would think he would do, which is hit himself in his injured hand with it. <laughs> like this guy is not trusted around anything that's breakable or sharp. <laughs> I guess that's a symbol of how he's, he's kind of, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, that's one idea that he's doing penance for his crimes or also that, <laughs> that he, he's constantly like hurting himself. Oh, you know, he's his own yeah. worst enemy by lit. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> he he t- he really takes it in str- it isn't until much later in the movie that he realizes there's something weird about an old lady having a cat of nine tails under her bed. He's he just he takes it in str- he's like why does she have this? Crazy. Anyway, moving on. I and mean, then later in the movie she's like, "Wait, why would she have a whip in her room?" Look, Elliot, <laughs> just cuz you're an older person doesn't mean you don't have fetishes. It's it's fine. That's actually a no, good point. That's yeah. true. And I don't want to shame her on that. If that's what she's into, it's clearly not. We've seen the movie. She's using it to torture me. But, if it, but, but I don't want to shame her if she is into that. I will shame her for torturing a man in a prison cell. But you're right, Dan. Perhaps that just was an outgrowth of her natural kink, in which case more power to her. You know, As long as she's not hurting anybody, which she is, Giorgio, her son. But if that wasn't the case, then yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Duchess. You be your be your bad self. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. live your truth. I, um, I actually think all of these little touches with Jeffrey Combs are to uh, instill the self self loathing yeah, yeah, yeah. idea, so that when he goes nutsoid uh-huh. in the third act, mm-hmm. it's not overacting. It's there's mm-hmm. there's there's yeah, and all this stuff is eating eating at him the whole time. Yeah, because overacting of- out of Jeffrey Combs, <laughs> Combs would be very strange. <laughs> I mean, if you want somebody to go nutsoid in the third act, yeah. I mean, I can't think of anyone better. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, I want to make it clear. I love him. I am not like his overacting is great overacting. Yeah. Um, yeah. F Murray, Abraham, Sam Neill levels. Um, okay. So <clears throat> while uh, John gets engrossed in a uh, old photo Emphasis album. Emphasis on gross. Yep. <laughs> he gets engrossed in an old photo album. Uh, he, of course, is not paying enough attention to his daughter who then wanders off and uh, and she hears a shuffling sound, and we're like, what is that sound? Of course, cat scare. 
we see that cool cat air actor from earlier in the movie. <laughs> cat actor. So that cat actor leads sure, Rebecca I mean, on a merry give him chase. Or her the respect that <laughs> him or her deserves. Uh, yeah. um, that the cat leads Rebecca on a merry chase down mm-hmm. into the dungeons. <laughs> Rebecca takes a little spill, goes rolling down the dungeon like. It's not even steps at this point. It's just like, yeah, like a an, ramp. Incl- yeah, it's like a ramp <laughs> filled with like nodules and, and like sharp points. And she, <laughs> she cuts her knees and the cat's like, meow. And she's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, and the cat, uh, uh, Stu, Stu, that is a, that is a radical reading of the, of the interaction. <laughs> say, you're putting a lot of your, you're projecting a lot of yourself onto that interaction between Becca and the cat. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> So uh, the cat is clearly leading her down there because the cat found the old like serving dish mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, that Giorgio had been given earlier, a place that often sausage had been laid. <laughs> <laughs> so the cat is the cat is being very Garfield here, yep. where it's like, "Feed me! Uh-huh. I hate Mondays. I live in the castle." <laughs> yep, and then that Garfield goes to find it's Odie. In the form okay. of a very uh, food-deprived Giorgio who's passed out <laughs> on the bottom of his cell. Uh, Rebecca is asking if anyone's there. She's like, we have this moment of a blind character who's just right outside of the cell of a horrible monster character. Um, and then she wanders off. Uh, the cat tries to leave. Not so fast, kitty. Uh, and we see a... Uh, <laughs> As a cat lover, a kind of difficult to watch sequence where Giorgio uh, drags the cat back into the room and then uh, attacks a through, very through funny the, cat puppet. Through the conveniently placed <laughs> pet door in the torture cell. Yeah, that's actually, now, who installed that? <laughs> that's, that's my question is that the Duchess was like, you know what? I want Giorgio to stay in here, but I want the cat to feel free to go wherever he wants. Yeah. Let's, I'll just make sure that there's an entrance for the cat here. Yeah, do you but, think it's to enrage Giorgio further? Because he has, <laughs> he's like, I'm confined to this little cell, but the cat can go anywhere. <laughs> like, what, Mom, you love that cat more than you love me. That's not true, Giorgio. Well, I'm a prisoner, and the cat can do whatever he wants. Oh, mm. well, you make a good point, Giorgio. Like, it's a, uh, but I will say, when the cat is pulled in through the door, that is the most effective cat acting in that I don't think that cat's acting. I think they are pulling it against its will through the door, which is kind of upsetting. Yeah. That's probably right. But it's, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very affecting. <laughs> Unless the cat was like, spent the whole day being like, I got to get into this moment. Like, what do I draw upon uh-huh. in my own life to really <laughs> yeah. feel like I'm being pulled through this? Yeah, door? It's, like, it, it, the cat watches roar <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> the movie where lions attack people. Jeez, I was trying to explain that movie to someone recently. And I'm like, you know what? Explaining this is a fool's errand. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, mom, you have to understand. <laughs> The lions are attacking people for realsies. <laughs> but John, but Jan de Bont's head, mom. It wasn't my mom, but that's but for the sake of the joke. So uh, yeah, Giorgio takes the cat, uh, devours a chunk out of it. Uh, finally, he has sustenance, and he powers up, and then he hurls the carcass <laughs> into the into the you, corner. You can see his, his energy bar goes all the way to maximum. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Giorgio levels up. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's got access to better spells now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so at this point, we also have uh, John realizes that. His daughter's missing. He goes running around the house looking for her. That, of course, makes Susan freak out because he did exactly what she expected, which was not pay attention to their daughter. And they go looking for her. 
they bump into her and they have a scene where they talk about, you know, they, 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 you know, they talk about various levels of responsibility. They address her injury, etc. cetera. Uh, meanwhile, we have probably the most important scene of the movie. And that's where Giorgio now powered up realizes <laughs> he needs to get the fuck out of there. We can't have a castle freak trapped in a cell. <laughs> So he uh, can't he can't get his hand out of the out of the cuff of his uh, manacles. So he takes a big bite out of his thumb, breaking his thumb, and then he pulls his hand from the manacle, ripping his thumb from his hand. Uh huh. Somewhere in the process, I believe he also grabs a hold of his own ding dong no. and rips uh, out. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, Stuart, no. Let us explain <laughs> to our guest. Uh, there's a long time controversy. Uh, before any of us had seen Castle Freak other than Stuart, Stuart explained that the Castle Freak was about this freak that lived in a castle who, at one point, ripped his own ding-dong off. Now, I, I, you know, was... Stuart's uh, words. Ding-dong was Stuart's words, Stuart's, his description. Stuart's words. Uh, I, of course, was intrigued by this and by Stuart's <laughs> enthusiasm for Castle Freak. Dan, Dan as, a, as a huge fan of cinematic genital mutilation, <laughs> yeah. said, I've got to see this. Yeah. How did I miss it? Let me at this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched it and I was like, I came back to the podcast. And I said, Stuart, there's no ding dong ripping scene. Uh-huh. What are you talking it's, about? And it was really great because, uh, you know, a normal friend would approach me off air to talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> no, 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 no. But no, he wants, uh, he wants to hold my feet to the fire. Of our dirty laundry. And so my, my favorite. I think my, they, my they fa- do show the ding dong, though, don't they? They, sh- they show his like severed stump of a of a penis, yes. and I believe I will I will suggest that in the process he may even rip it off himself. But we'll find out. Maybe I should check <laughs> my autographed picture of Jonathan Fuller, where Jonathan Fuller explains he ripped it off himself. Or maybe you should check the tweet you had from Stuart Gordon. Where he says no, <laughs> the castle freak does not rip his own ding dong well, off. My favorite, somebody somebody tweeted at Stuart Gordon, "Hey, did the castle freak rip his own ding dong off?" And Stuart Gordon's entire tweet was just no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that seems pretty definitive, but uh, I mean, gate, it's it's a complicated issue. Elliot, do I need to explain artist intent to you? <laughs> no, the death of I'm the familiar with. I know. I know that. Uh, According to Marcel Duchamp's The Role of the Spectator in Art, Stuart, your reading of this scene is as valid as Stuart Gordon's, if anything, more valid than Stuart Gordon's, in that a piece of art does not really exist as a piece of art until it is observed by a spectator mm-hmm. and interpreted. Uh, but in this case, I, I think I'm going to have to probably go with Stuart Gordon. <laughs> yeah. But Okay, well, so this is, this is in either case, Wait, so this is an incredibly grisly scene. Wait, is, isn't this verifiable? <laughs> <laughs> Can't, I mean, the fact about it not being in the movie is verifiable. Can't a freeze frame uh, solve this yeah, dude, I mean, quickly? What, what I would ask Dan to do is, after we're done recording, to go frame by frame, okay. like what you did when you rented a DVD of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. and go frame by frame. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Go frame by frame. See Jessica to, Rabbit. To, yeah. prove that I, to prove that I'm wrong. Yeah, all right. Otherwise, I think, I mean, you know... Whatever. Uh, so we, so we yeah, have a, my. I think Stuart. I don't know why you haven't yet done at a live show a Zapruder type presentation <laughs> of the scene where you have a you have a pointer and you're like down and off. He yanks it down and off. Clearly, you can see where his hand goes. But maybe that's for another day. What would be the uh, motivation I, I, I for ripping off his ding dong? 
that's that's a good we question. know the motivation for ripping off his thumb <laughs> yep <Yeah>. that's true <laughs> that he's ripping off his thumb to free him from like physical captivity and i feel like he's removing his ding dong to separate himself from i don't know the the captivity the, of sexual desire exactly yeah, the, the temptations of the flesh yeah, 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 sure. or the responsibility but, of uh being being a uh, an air producing uh landowner <laughs> oh, I, I see, so you're saying that he didn't want the responsibility of taking care of a child yes and so this was the quickest way to ensure that never happened <laughs> But we know from He's, later scenes that he is not freed from sexual desire. Oh, no, that's, that's true. true. Oh, very true. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll, fi- we'll, fi- we'll get there in a second. So, uh, Stuart, Stuart, perhaps he and I, this is the last I'll interject about mm-hmm. uh, his ding dong for the moment. Uh, perhaps he, like Boston Corbett, the man who <laughs> shot John Wilkes Booth, uh-huh, perhaps yep. like him, he <laughs> removed it on purpose with a penknife so that he could be more holy and not be plagued by those sexual desires, which mm-hmm. that man did do at one point, And then he had to go to a doctor and the doctor was like, why did you do this? <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, maybe it'll play out in the rest of the movie. So, <laughs> so also, wait, wait, or is it possible that there was a little manacle around his penis that he had to break out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I mean, that's a, a good way to trap somebody. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, to be honest, I'd be much more ginger about trying to pull out of that manacle than the one on my on my wrist. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, give me a second. I have to. Okay, cool. So, um, uh, we Giorgio escapes. Giorgio sees himself in a mirror and shatters it. Mm. Okay. Um. I think that was probably the nod to the movie poster. <laughs> well, and to the to the the Lovecraft story. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, the climactic po- point in the Lovecraft story. Mm-hmm. So we um we we cut to a scene of the uh, the daughter Rebecca asleep at night, and Giorgio creeps up on her, and he does some creepy shit where he keeps trying to pull her covers down, mm-hmm. and then he <laughs> he makes uh he makes a sound. And she wakes up and he's terrified. He's hiding from her. And then he flees in terror because he like doesn't want to interact with her. And this is a gr- this is a great scene of Jonathan Fuller's acting. And it builds this full Castle Free character. I like it. Um, <clears throat> uh, Rebecca at this point is freaking out because there's somebody in her room. She tells her father. He tries to find uh, the intruder. Of course, we have a scene where Giorgio, draped in a blanket, pretends to be furniture draped in a blanket. <laughs> uh, that's a little foreshadowing it's, it's, for what's going to happen to our heroes later. It's it's the one moment where I'm like, oh, so the Duchess, did she Joe Giorgio like Abbott and Costello movies <laughs> growing yep. up? And John, uh, you know, John's looking for an intruder, and this is when he finds the family tomb Specifically, he finds the the grave of Giorgio, who and there's a little photo next to his his tomb, and it looks exactly like his son JJ. So we have this scene of him looking at the picture. He touches the picture. He says JJ over and over. Uh, Giorgio <laughs> sneaks up and watches him do this. Um, da 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 da. It's like it's like Giorgio is like. Are you calling me? Oh, JJ. I thought you were saying Giorgio. I'm so sorry about that. Let me. Yeah, I'll yeah. Leave you to I your mean, grief. they sound sorry. alike. I think Giorgio is the JJ of Italy. Are you calling uh, Jimmy JJ Walker? Is that what you're doing? Uh-huh. Okay. J. Jonah Jameson is actually Giorgio Giorgio Jameson. Okay. 
wait, that doesn't make any sense. Jonah is clearly his middle name. Why would Jonah doesn't stand for Giorgio? What? I don't know why you're slowing the podcast down. That way. <laughs> <laughs> so John contacts the police, and of course they don't believe him. Uh, that's, I mean, that's an important horror trope. Uh, and he also tells he tells his wife, and she thinks he's going crazy. Yeah, and I mean, maybe, maybe, I mean, she uh, she obviously doesn't she's not going to be on his in his corner in any situation at this point. So he, John storms off. She even says, uh, they, uh, you know, they have a fight. He's trying to show her that Giorgio looks just like JJ. And she clearly believes that this is his guilt weighing down on him. And he, he makes the comment, you wish I had died. And she's like, yeah, totally. I wish he'd died. So he storms off. He climbs to the, uh, the, like the parapets of the castle and there's another moment where the the movie actually follows him all the way through the castle, so we get some sense of like sense of the space. Like we get we get an understanding of the geography of the castle. And he climbs- it also it doubles as if if in case Charles Mann wanted to sell the castle, he would already have like a walkthrough <laughs> video he could show to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So- <laughs> They're like, we like this place, but does the freak come with the house? <laughs> No, that's a good question. The freak will come with me. The housekeeper stays with the house, but I'll—that's uh, my freak, and I'll take it. I'm, I'm in the—I'm—I'm uh, I'm in the process. Of, I'm in a similar pro- process of uh, home shopping right now, and that's the kind of conversation I have all the time. Does the fire table come with the house? No, we'll take that with us, but the freak will stay in the basement. Of the house. Uh, well, like, could you take that? Because I don't have to pay for the removal. Well, we, we'll give you credits off of the closing costs to, to pay for the freak removal. Uh, it's not the same thing, but okay. So John, John climbs up to the battlements and he contemplates suicide for a moment. Like he, he's, he's at a very low point. Okay. So instead of doing that, he, uh, does the next best thing, which is he falls off the wagon and he Mm -hmm. goes to a local cafe in town and starts drinking. Uh, he gets very drunk. He befriends a local prostitute named Silvana. And uh, he gets 86 from that bar. And it is a very brightly lit bar that looks like it is not prepared to handle a very drunk American guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Also, great Jeffrey Combs drunk acting. They get thrown out and he suggests, hey, I have some more wine. I know a place where we can get some wine, of course. He takes I think he's not his- aware that she's a he's so drunk he's not aware she's the town prostitute. That's that's probably true. She yeah. he's I mean, Jeffrey Combs is an incredibly handsome leading man type. So he, uh, he, I'm laughing. He's he, yeah, I don't know why guy. you're dragging Jeffrey guy. Combs. He's know, awesome. Stuart, I'm not sure if that was a dig or not. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Although one of the things I like about this is that of, if you look at that, the, if you look at the, the trilogy of Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Cramp and Stuart Gordon movies, he plays a different type of character in each one. And this one is yes. a more straightforward, non mad scientisty character. Yeah. I mean, you compare this to Herbert West and it's, and they're, they're totally different characters. They still have that. They still have a, that same kind of madness in a way, but yeah, they're, they play different roles and they, and they're different personalities. It's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Whereas Herbert West is obsessed with some kind of green liquid. He, uh, John <laughs> Riley's obsessed with some kind of alcoholic liquid, mm-hmm. amber or purple liquid, depending on, I guess what he's drinking. Yeah. You know, so John and Silvana go back to the castle and to the wine cellar. He's so drunk that I guess he doesn't notice. It's you. He would, to be honest, him. He would never know that she was a prostitute, except for the way she's dressed and how she immediately puts her arm in his, and also how she's the only woman in the entire bar, and everyone in the in the room has the familiarity that you would have with someone that you've slept with. <laughs> so how could he know? 
So they go back to his wine cellar. Uh, they drink a little bit of wine and then uh, they get frisky. Uh, Giorgio sneaks up and watches them make love. Uh, she then reveals, uh, John's immediately embarrassed. And then she reveals that she is a prostitute by asking for money. He accepts this and then he goes and he lays, he like curls up in a corner and gets drunker and passes out. She has to find her way home. Uh oh, she's trapped in that castle. Giorgio sneaks up. Yeah. (laughs) Giorgio uses the nursery to lure her into the room and then he captures her. Uh, and this sex scene, like a lot of Stuart Gordon sex scenes, is pretty explicit. Yeah. That's okay. That's yeah, I, don't, I got nothing to say about that. Um, okay. What the freak, the, the freak sex scene. Well, that's good. We'll get to that. But I think okay. the sex scene, like there's, I don't know. I feel like the sex scene between uh, Jeffrey Combs and this actress is pretty explicit. I think for, for well, I, fairly, I think the only thing that, that bugs me about it really is that he starts pouring wine all over her uh-huh. and like, that just seems gross. Yeah, yeah. Like that seems re- that's usually like not. That's gonna- not like first date material. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, like- and sh- and she's clearly miffed by it at first until she remembers that he's going to pay her money afterwards. But like, she's probably all sticky after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's well, again. He again, is an alcoholic. That's, that, <laughs> that's yeah, fair, yeah, fair. Yeah, so my two favorite things together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, though, I don't want to yuck anyone's young, but like, I've never understood like. <laughs> I've never understood the food. Like, and sex I don't thing. want to yuck anyone's yum. We've talking about a ding dong being ripped off <laughs> no, by a freak, look, but <laughs> I don't. I've never gotten the food and sex thing because I, I like watch it in movies. I'm just like, uh, that's a lot of cleanup. That, that's all I can think about when I'm watching. I'm just like, uh, for the trouble. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, gonna, I mean, it's gonna take a lot think, of Windex afterwards. You don't think combining two of life's greatest pleasures in one situation is the ideal way to go? Mm. You think the cleanup is too much? It's trouble. too much. Okay, I mean, it doesn't always have to be D- like soup, <laughs> but, but yeah, sometimes also, it can be soup. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But isn't he about to use his mouth on her at that's, the time yeah. that he pours the? the that's, and the fact that he does use his mouth on her uh-huh, yep. is an important signal yeah. to Giorgio. It's that like has, <laughs> that has bad consequences <laughs> yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. horrifying consequences. Uh, yeah, he. I, so he's he modeling behavior Dan for just, his uh, for Giorgio that will unfortunately be replicated. Yeah, and before we leave off that subject, Dan, sex tip: you don't have to use molasses. Like that's. <laughs> I think I know you love it, but don't try something else. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, my favorite type of sweet thing—the <laughs> the weird bitter flavor of molasses. <laughs> so we cut to the next morning. The police arrive at the castle, and they want to ask uh, ask John some questions because Sylvana never came home that night, and that she is a mother, that she has a child. Uh, Giorgio, at this point, while the police are uh, are interrogating uh, or just asking questions with John, um, Giorgio, and that of course leaves that leads to an awkward situation with John's wife because Susan is already angry with him. She is not more happy by him bringing a prostitute to their castle home and then her disappearing. Uh, Giorgio has uh, has uh, tied. Uh, he's chained Silvana up in the basement. And he he tries to form some kind of a connection with her. He tries to replicate behaviors that John uh, was performing. Uh, she tries to convince him to let her go. He can't communicate because he uh, has been mutilated and doesn't have a tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, she then tries to uh, 
She then tries to, I guess, pleasure him and realize that he doesn't have a penis. Uh, it was removed in an earlier scene that I mentioned. <laughs> no, Stuart, I think uh, that annotation I'm going to have to take issue with. Uh, I believe that's uh, we don't know the cause of the non-penis, but yep. I don't know. If I we believe can we do to see that. something fleshy and floppy. Yeah, yeah. Right I think it's I that. think it's his, his ball sack. Uh, all the visual effects were provided by, uh, I think, like optic nerve visual effects, which is the Avex company run by Glenn Hetrick from that Face Off television show on Sci-Fi Channel. Mm. Uh, oh. the, guy, the guy who looks like goth Guy Fieri, um, which is awesome. <laughs> so meanwhile, uh, Agnesa, the housekeeper, finds Silvana's purse. Um, she tells uh, her brother, who is the attorney, that uh, she's found this purse and the attorney lets John know, look, they're going to arrest you. And if you want me to help get you out of this trouble, I know you didn't do anything, but if you need help getting out of this trouble, it's going to cost you more money. This, this is such a, it's such a great scene because the guy playing the attorney is so completely inhabiting this totally amoral, like unethical attorney. He's like, it's not a problem. They have no evidence. She's a, she's a woman of ill repute. Dude, don't have to worry about it. You're totally fine. She get, he gets a phone call from his sister that the bags when he goes, well, this is a different story. My <laughs> services of course will come at quite a price. And it's like, he doesn't even skip a beat. Yeah. He just like, there's no moment where he even has to think about it or switch gears. He goes immediately for like, ah, uh, yes, CCC, CCC. Uh, okay. Uh, now I'm going to do this. I'm going to blackmail you. He, uh, it's just, he's so good. And he also, he explains that the, uh, he also finally reveals John's relationship to the family that, uh, that the American soldier who the Duchess had fallen in love with, they had gotten married um, they had had the child together, and then the American ran off with the Duchess's sister, and they ran to America, and they had a child, and that child's name was John Riley. That's right. Jeffrey Combs is the, what, half-brother of uh, Giorgio? Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you know, he's shocked, and he has that revelation, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, uh, back at the castle, uh, Giorgio is doing some horrible things to Silvana. Um, she had attempted to stab him uh, and to free herself, and that did not go well, and he, uh, he attacks her. Uh, Agneza follows the sounds and finds Silvana only to be uh, attacked by Giorgio with his manacles, and she gets, uh, yeah, it's pretty gross. By the way, can we it's, backtrack just for a minute? Yes, please. You know, in, in Reanimator, <laughs> Stuart Gordon has a head giving head. Yeah, yeah, okay. he has, he has, And in uh, this movie, he, 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 he has Giorgio uh-huh. literally eating pussy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he does. He he he's <laughs> he's copying Jeffrey Combs, but so Stuart Gordon has this thing about taking clearly literal, <laughs> <laughs> literal sexual slang <laughs> and enacting it visually on screen uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> to various levels of appeal. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wish that he like took that as far as he could go with like literalizing phrases, where it, like there's a certain point where dogs and cats are literally falling out of the sky. <laughs> Like it's like Stuart Gordon. He makes these great horror movies, but he's always got to include one pun in there. Like, I don't know. Yeah, he's got to literalize a turn of phrase. But this this is the scene in the movie where, it, like, and I I I like horror movies a lot. But this is the scene in the movie where I'm like, 
Check, please. Like, this is a little too much for me. It is, it's it's su- incredibly it's graphic. A, when, when he, it's when such he starts a sexually moment. eating yep. Silvana. <laughs> yep. Yes, it's, 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 it's incredibly gruesome, even the more so when you realize that she is still alive while this is happening. Yeah. You know? it's, yeah, it's horrifying. Um, and Giorgio, uh, when Agneza finds Silvana, who's still alive, he kills the two of them. Uh, meanwhile, the... Uh, <laughs> if, when, if Giorgio's like... Oh, I killed the maid. Am I the maid now? <laughs> yes, so. And like dresses up in her clothes and is cleaning the house. I guess I belong to the house. The uh, <laughs> yeah. Rebe- Rebecca and Susan and Rebecca try to leave. They're tired of John's bullshit, uh, but the police stop them and they start searching the house. Uh, John, they uh, John shows up with the insp- uh, with the attorney. They're checking out the tomb. John's trying to explain his theory when they come upon the dead bodies, dead and mutilated bodies of Silvana and Agneza. Uh, and the uh, attorney at this point, uh, his, his, at this point we realize John is definitely going to need an attorney. And then his attorney starts attacking him because his, <laughs> his sister was just found murdered. Yeah. And, and at some, at some point we discover that the investigating police officer yeah. is the father of Silvana's, child yeah it, yes. i think it's it's it isn't for sure but it's heavily believed among the town that though ever that she is uh she's had relations with everyone in the town he is the only one who has given I her mean, a child can, and considering we see them together later at the end i think we can unlike the ding dong theory which has no supporting evidence <laughs> within the film uh this this theory is amply supported with visual and thematic evidence and plot evidence yeah, and, in and, the film and probably multiple reddit threads explaining it Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that video, that uh, all those articles on Vox that were like the the relationships of Castle Freak explained uh-huh. the end credit scene explained. So John has John has figured this whole thing out. He's uh, he he knows that there's someone else in the house. He talks about the the whip. He realizes that uh, you know that she that the Duchess had been holding Giorgio there. Nobody and he, believes he it. breaks he he breaks open Giorgio's coffin to show that it's empty. There's just rocks in it. There's no body. Uh huh. John, uh, John is arrested. Um, the Susan and Rebecca are expected to stay in the castle uh, as, I don't know, some kind of a hazing ritual in order to get <laughs> to the sorority. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy that they're like, they're like, uh, this is a this is a crime scene. Of course, you two ladies are free to stay. <laughs> they're not even given the option of getting a hotel room. It's just like, oh well, we would never seek to kick you out of your home that you've been you've been in for several nights. Uh, yeah, they're given a police detail to protect them of two policemen who I hope don't have families. Um, <laughs> Giorgio, uh, Giorgio uses all of his stealth techniques that he's learned to distract and then murder the police. Yeah, he's a real solid snake. He's just he's just going through the vents, sneaking around. Uh, John, uh, John is interrogated and he manages to trick the detectives and break free and get out of there. Uh, Susan and well now now by trick you mean he hits the detective over the head with a like a chair. Leg. I mean that's a classic trick. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's not a battle of wits. Like the, he hits him with a stick and then it's, he runs it's, away. It's certainly the fate of anyone who does not give me a treat on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Giorgio has taken out the cops. He uh, he waits for Susan to leave Rebecca alone before he. Uh, he knocks Susan out and then he 
he sneaks up on Rebecca while she's changing and then uh, drags her away. Uh, Susan chases after them. They have a showdown where uh, Giorgio has uh, Rebecca in his clutches and Susan shows up with a knife and hidden behind her back and she distracts him and says, no, take me, take me instead of my daughter. Uh, he attempts to, and then she stabs him with that knife. Uh, the two of them run away. Uh, they run up onto the parapets of the castle that we'd seen earlier. Uh, it is raining heavily. Giorgio shows up covered in blood and not happy. Uh, (laughs) but before he can stop them, uh, before he can, he can do horrible things to them. Uh, John shows up recently freed from the police custody (laughs) And uh, they get in a fight on the roof. Uh, They battle for a bit. John eventually gets taken down and Giorgio hits him a bunch with chains. Uh, And then John grabs. I just until that until that moment, John is fighting amazingly well. Yeah. A a man who is is still probably hung over. Yeah. And also has been dealing with being interrogated by policemen. He's like he's really taking it on this freak. And it was at that moment that I was like. Why did I assume the Castle Freak would be super strong and an amazing fighter? He's been trapped inside of a cell for it's like it's not Cape Fear where he was working out in his cell for years, right? Yeah. I mean, he's also fighting like, for his family, Elliot. Imagine, imagine the uh, the preternatural strength that you would have if your family was threatened. Oh no! I mean, to, it, the the scariest thing about this movie to me, watching it this time, because the last time I saw it was before my children were born. Mm-hmm. Watching it this time, the scariest thing in it was the idea that. I would somehow be responsible for my son's death in a car accident or that he would or that he would die in a car like that. I was so much more frightened by that. And then when the freak showed up, I was like, oh, thank goodness. This is like movie <laughs> scary stuff. Like it's like when I saw when I saw uh, the Babadook and every when she's in the car and her son is just really bothering her and she's losing it. I was like, this is too real. And then when the Babadook showed up, it was the same reaction of like, oh, what a relief. It's a monster. OK, good. <laughs> But but all all the over the top uh, Jeffrey Combs acting here at the here at the end is is justified by the fact that um, he's already he's already screwed up twice yeah, yeah and yeah. and mm-hmm. it's like now the now the two last remaining members of his family are about to be killed yeah and so he he's he's got he's got absolutely no nothing to redeem himself yeah yeah, yeah. this is his this is his last chance he can't just stop him. The only way he's going to have to do it, the only way he's going to save his family is by grabbing onto a chain and dragging Giorgio off the parapets, both killing Giorgio and himself. So the only Which way is he can also save how, his family is by It's also how Stuart himself. saves his family ends, right? With Stuart yeah. Smalley, <laughs> Al Franken, yeah, shading himself how, to a monster and jumping off a castle. Yeah, exactly. Now, Giorgio is totally dead, but he is, John is just dying. So he gets one <laughs> final moment where he gets to... Uh, you know, he gets to say his parting goodbyes to uh, his wife, who forgives him, I think, and her, her like her mm-hmm. final thing, which, of course, you're going to do like yeah. a guy's dying. Like, you, you don't got to be mean to him. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, it's not like it's not like you're you're like Ice Cube killing the anaconda at the end of Anaconda. You don't Stewart's, have to say something. <laughs> Stewart's etiquette book. I would love like a guy's dying. You don't got to be mean to him. <laughs> and then then we so the the nightmare is over. We get the final shot. Susan and Rebecca dressed for a funeral are in a car in the car leaving the castle and they pass the the head of the police who is holding hands with what we assume to be Silvana's uh, son. Uh, 
And uh, that's the end of the movie. And I think uh, I think a very a kind of a meaningful, somber final shot. Yeah. So norm- yeah. normally now, th- uh, go on. Sorry. I just want to something that I I noticed this viewing of the movie, which I didn't notice for is that. Giorgio the Castle Freak, and again, I just want to say what a great performance it is. And there's a, there's a before he goes before the fight with uh, with Barbara Crampton. There's a long scene of him trying to win over the daughter and not quite being able to do it. Uh-huh. Is that Giorgio as this character who is kind of like this kind of like bestial figure? He can only talk in grunts and kind of trying to say words. He's all chained up. He's this kind of like thin but wiry and and strong figure. I realize and this this like scraggly hair coming off of him. He's basically a gritty reboot of Animal the Muppet when it comes down to it. Okay. And so <laughs> okay. I wondered – I never noticed – there's a certain point during the movie and I was like, wait a minute. It's like – and he chases after women just like Animal the Muppet does. Uh-huh. I'm like, this is kind of – it's like if Animal the Muppet was a real thing. He would be incredibly frightening. Just this like creature dragging chains and chasing after people and, and just yeah. grunting at them. So I wonder if that was – I would love to talk to Stuart Gordon and be like, were you at all – inspired by the Muppets when you made Castle Freak. And I assume he would then block me on Twitter or close the door in my face or whatever, yeah. whatever response. But, but, but does the Castle Freak have any even slightly redeeming moment? You know, like, you know, Frankenstein does and King Kong does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, like, you a always moment have of, this, like a moment of tenderness. Almost. Well, a, a moment where you kind of feel the pain of the freak. You, Cause you, I don't think, I don't think there is, I don't think you ever like, yeah, sort I mean, of like the freak. Right? Even even the moment where even the early moments where he's trying to like form some kind of a connection with Rebecca, it's done. It's pretty creepy. Like it's he's too like creepy. Yeah, he's, the only time you feel sorry for him is when he's beaten with the cat of nine tails before the opening credits. Yeah, that's that's kind of the only part. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I, you're like, oh, that poor man. And then you see him and you're like, whoa, oh boy, what is this? Cat <laughs> of nine tails, please. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I totally get it. The Duchess should be beating him with that cat of nine tails. It's sort of, it's sort of one of those where, oh, this guy has to die Yeah, from the, from the very beginning, you know? Yeah. As, as, as yeah. like sad and horrible a monster he is, he doesn't like, yeah, it's time. You got to put him out of his misery. You got to get rid of him. But do you do you see that? Do you think that's kind of Whoa. like a failing of the movie, or just? I, I think well, it, okay. I think it might be a failing of the movie. It's yeah. like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like because he he is as he is through no fault of his own. Yeah, and, and the, so yeah, I would say that I I and I think one of the things that's interesting about it is that like Jonathan Fuller's performance as Giorgio is so great that he could have like he could have handled a little more nuance like he could have gi- if they had given him more or a sympathetic scene he could have delivered with it like, yeah i mean we we have to assume yeah, that so. stuart gordon just wanted it to be in your face nasty irredeemable yeah i don't know yeah. uh, you know something though- to really get people to break out their barf bags <laughs> yeah because mm-hmm. <laughs> it is very it is like it's so hard to get over that that scene with Silvana and it's like like you're saying like Frankenstein causes a little girl to drown but he's still sympathetic it's still clear like he doesn't know what he's doing and it's you know he's just trying to he's trying to play but with Giorgio it's so horrific that you can't be like oh well he's just he doesn't know what he's doing like it's I don't know <laughs> yeah and the, it's tough the you can't excuse him and it's I mean it's such a it's such a high bar at that point it raised the stakes so high where you're like 
oh my god, I don't want to see him do this again to anybody. <laughs> no, um, the he'd have to donate a lot of money to the local hospital to get o- yeah. to really get over that. The, uh, like for them to open the Giorgio the the Giorgio T freak wing of the local hospital. The uh, I, I do also want to point out before we wrap up our conversation on Castle Freak. Mm. I think the score for this movie is so hilarious. It's so like, <laughs> like weird classic, like medieval, like like knights and swords type scores. Like do 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 do. Like in scenes where he's like, cha- like this horrible monsters chasing people through the, the <laughs> castle. It's so like silly. Uh, it's obviously the cheapest possible thing they could do, but man, woof. <laughs> now, did, the, but now. That, the- now we have to talk about what dark rear lobe of your brain uh-huh. makes you constantly have to revisit Castle Freak. Oh, I think. I mean, <laughs> wow, I mean, you know, maybe I'm exploring some of my own demons. Uh, guys, I forgot to tell you that uh, before the podcast started 12 years ago, uh, I inherited a castle. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, maybe. Weird that you've never invited us over. Maybe. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the, uh, where Dan would go, of course. Yes. Maybe, maybe the relationship between John and his half brother Giorgio. I think maybe that has something to do with my own uh, relationship with my own brother. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. find out. <laughs> um, I, I would love it, Stuart, if you were like, I don't know. There's nothing. I, I don't. I don't know why I relate to it. I mean, I was raised in a cell and constantly beaten with a cat of nine tails and ripped off my own ding dong. Wait a minute. Just you know, this, this amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. psychological breakthrough. Yeah, yeah. A, a Chaz Palminteri at the end of Usual Suspects moment of like, but all those things happened in the movie. <laughs> I thought it'd be like, wait a minute. I get it. I like Barbara Crampton. <laughs> no, Stuart, I think you missed the forest for the trees there. But which, once again, this is another great Barbara Crampton performance. Oh, sure, she's always it great. is. Even though she's not a she's, it's a very mom role, yeah, which yeah. is not what she normally does. Yeah, she's very like nagging in this movie. She's right. nagging enough that even her daughter. Who does a lot of nagging is like, hey mom, you're nagging too much. <laughs> mm. Well, it's it's the 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 that's another another failing of the movie for me is that it's kind of like uh, in Breaking Bad when Skylar, everyone's like, oh, she's such a shrew, and it's like, well, her husband's being really terrible as a husband <laughs> yeah. and father. That like Barbara Crampton comes off as nagging, but like she has a genuine beef with her husband, the alcoholic oh, sure. who killed her son and blinded her exactly. daughter. You know, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, look, normally here we would do final judgments, but. I think if we said anything other than this being the greatest movie that was ever made, Stuart would rip his own ding dong off, <laughs> ding dong off in rage, and uh, yeah, we wouldn't want that. With it, I so. mean, because mainly because this is an audio medium, and people wouldn't get to enjoy that sound, yeah. <laughs> unlike the movie, which features it. Genre film fans, hear me. I know you're out there. Do not be ashamed of your love for gore, action, sci-fi, or fantasy. It's time to come out of the shadows. Because on Switchblade Sisters, we celebrate our love for genre films. I'm film critic April Wolf. Each week I have a conversation with a different female filmmaker about their fave genre film, and we cover film craft, getting projects off the ground, working with actors, and our general love for genre movies. I've had so many great guests, like Heather Graham. In the past, it's like so many films are made by men that the female point of view is not always respected, which is why all these stories haven't come out till now. Jennifer's body director, Karin Kusama. I think there's a lot more fantasy and a lot more expectation projected onto a woman director 
comedian and actor Kate Berlant. I mean, it sounds so cheesy to talk about it in yourself, like, you just keep going, You're, you know, I'm just a vessel, like, I, I just do it, you know, I don't think, but, like, that is what it is. And many others. So check out Switchblade Sisters every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. I'm your oldest brother, Justin McElroy. I'm your middlest brother, Travis McElroy. And I'm your sweet baby brother, Griffin McElroy. Me and 3,000 of your closest friends just found your next podcast obsession. Cereal! Okay, but like, the second best podcast. Oh, f***. Just listen to my brother, my brother, and me on MaximumFun.org. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Hey guys, uh, we hope you're enjoying this special episode uh, that we had a guest on, Mr. Joe Bob Briggs. To that end, uh, while we were recording, we didn't want to make him sit around while we did all of our housekeeping. So there are a couple important announcements that it falls upon me to uh, fill you in on after the fact. Uh, The first is the Flophouse is going on tour this summer and fall, we mentioned it a little bit during the Max Fun Drive, but the Max Fun Drive was kind of uh, what we wanted to put the main focus on, so we didn't talk about it a lot. But we're going to be at Revolution Hall in Portland on June the 8th. We're going to be uh, at the Parkway in Minneapolis on July the 13th. Uh, in Boston, we'll be at WBUR City Space on September the 28th. And in Los Angeles, we'll be at the Regent on October the 12th. And if you go to flophousepodcast.com and click on the events page, you can get uh, links to tickets to all of those and more details like the exact time or whatever. They're all uh, at night, so uh, you, you can guess at the time. But, uh, but yeah, that's the deal. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun, a lot of travel for us, a lot of uh, carry-on baggage a lot of me lugging technical equipment around, hoping that no one thinks that they're dangerous in any way and tries to confiscate them. Uh, just a lot, of, a lot, a lot of fun for everyone. Not, a, not a lot of stress for me at all. Uh, moving on, there's a contest, <coughs> a hopefully not ill-defined contest this time around that I wanted to announce. Uh, if you have noticed uh, the Flophouse merch. That you can get at the Tapatico store has not been replenished in a long, long time. Nothing new to buy there if you're interested in Flophouse items. Uh, So we wanted to change that. We wanted to do a new t-shirt. And we're not good at this. So we thought, why not make you do it? With a design a t-shirt contest. Um, So uh, the outlines are simple. Uh, Do a t-shirt design. And then mail it to us at theflophousepodcast at gmail.com. That's theflophousepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, put, uh, let's say, T-shirt contest in the subject line. So it's all easy to filter out for me. And uh, the winner will get to choose a movie for us to talk about. And they'll also get a little scratch. Not that much. Um Basically, the typical deal is uh, you guys will get, whoever wins, will get $1 per shirt sold in the first six months, or we can uh, pay you a flat rate around 100 to $200. Not a lot of money. I apologize for that, but 
I'll also let you know a little secret. We do not get rich off the merch. The merch is a, a very small cut of any money we see from the podcast. So we're not trying to screw anyone over here. That's just uh, kind of what we can do for you. But we uh, we didn't want you to get nothing if we were profiting off of your design. So that's basically it. Choose, get you the prizes. Get to choose a movie for us to talk about and a little money. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm coughing a lot. Um, not now, obviously. I'm obviously not coughing. But if my throat seems raw and uh, I'm clearing my throat a lot, that's why. I apologize. But here's the boring technical information that doesn't make any sense to me, but hopefully makes sense to you as a designer. For shirts, um, MaxFun likes to work within a 12 by 14 inch area maximum and keep the ink colors to four or fewer. CMYK files preferred. RGB is fine, though, uh, and 300 DPI minimum. So 12 by 14 area, keep the ink colors to four or fewer. CMYK files preferred. RGB is fine, 300 DPI minimum. Um, unless that was all a joke on uh, from Kira from MaxFun to make me read a bunch of gibberish. Those are the technical uh, stats. Oh, and the contest period will be, um, let's say, from uh, when you hear this episode in mid-April uh, sometime. I'm not really sure when this drops. Until the end of May. So you have until the end of May to get those contest entries in. Thank you for listening. Sorry I wasn't as rambly as normal. And back to the show. We've been going a little while in Castle Freak, as we should, because it's, it's looms so large in Flophouse lore, but now we should move on. Um, so, we got a now, now we'll move on to the, to, to the rest of the show, where we will make our guest sit through the other random stuff that we do, <laughs> and then apologize to him afterwards, I assume. No, I hope he has uh, stuff to add, except for probably not this next immediate bit, where we talk about Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> Our, I don't know. Our, maybe Joe Bob has experience with Square Squarespace. Uh, look, you should assume uh, with Squarespace, you can create a beautiful website to turn your cool idea into a new website. That's redundant, but blog or publish content, sell okay, products Dan, and services. I'm going to ask you to start kinds. over. I, wait, I shouldn't copy edit the copy. Sorry. Nope. And more. Look, if you want to put a great Castle Freak fan site online, uh -huh. why not do it yep. with Squarespace? Uh -huh. uh, because it features beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers, a new way to buy domains and choose for, from over 200 extensions, analytics that help you grow in real time, uh -huh. and 24-7 award-winning customer support. If you want customer support, why not make it award-winning? And 24-7. <laughs> uh, make it stand out with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Hey, check out squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code FLOP to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh -huh. That was, uh, you were it, saying that it was going to be our special thank you gift to Joe Bob for doing the show. Is yeah. that, uh, <laughs> he, can use, he can use <laughs> offer code FLOP to get a discount on Squarespace. <laughs> now, now, Dan, uh, I was wondering if Squarespace could help me. I had an idea for a website. I wanted to run it by you and see if oh, you think okay. Squarespace would be able to help me with it. Okay, now, okay. Uh, look, how many times has this happened to you? You just inherited a castle, uh -huh. and you're having trouble keeping track of how many freaks are in there. <laughs> sure, well, yep. That's that's what we at inventoryfreak.com uh 
would handle with you. We're we are freaks for inventorying freaks. We will keep an inventory of how many freaks you have. We won't let them get like look. Even if they're not in their cell, we will double count to make sure one that we got all the freaks, two that we didn't accidentally double count a freak if it escapes after we've counted it. And three, we also for an extra service will inventory which freaks have ding-dongs, which ones don't. Uh, we don't get into how they lost them. That's something that we don't need to that, – that inventoryfreak.com just doesn't handle. But mm-hmm. we can help you inventory the freaks in your castle because we are – at inventoryfreak.com, we're freaks for inventorying freaks. Now, Dan, do you think Squarespace will be able to help me with that? I think it would. Just use offer code FLOP for a discount on your next, I don't know, freak inventorying enterprise. <laughs> yeah. And now but, uh, now, uh how, what what about customer service? Is it twenty four seven? Because we would often be doing this inventorying very late at night, often in stormy weather. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. I mean, I don't think we have to go over all of the copy again. But that, <laughs> that would be accurate. Uh, but I do think we've got a couple of jumbotrons. Uh, who's ready for a jumbotron? Who's who's got it pulled up? Or should I just? I've got mine talk? queued okay. up, Dan. Ellie, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, this Dumbo, this I was about to call it Dumbotron. Dumbo in theaters now. This Jumbotron, that's a free, <laughs> that's a free one in case Disney wants to throw us some business. <laughs> uh, so this Jumbotron uh, is a slightly serious one. This is for Don Draper, and it's from Bill. Mm-hmm. And the message is to Don Draper, the small gray fuzzy fellow, not the TV character. Uh-huh. Don, you were a very cool literal cat, and your glowering looks of disapproval gave me joy whenever I saw them on Facebook. I'll miss you, though we've never met. To Aaron, I'm very sorry for the loss of your friend. I hold you in the highest esteem. Warm regards, Bill. And so a fitting farewell to a furry friend in this Castle Freak episode of the Flophouse. That's very Oh, sweet. man. Okay. Uh, I'm Now I'm going to do one now that, <laughs> now that I'm sad. Do you love horror S- movies? S- sad at what? My amazing alliteration? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Can I get to my copy now? Uh, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Do you love horror movies, but seem to always pick the worst of the bunch? Don't worry. We've probably already watched it. Spoop Squad is a podcast where we watch the worst horror films that streaming services have to offer so that you don't have to. We claw our way through terrible horror films to stumble upon the true diamonds in the rough. So join the Spoop Squad in the dark, as they laugh in death's face on your favorite podcast provider. That's Spoop with two Ps. Wait, one in the middle and one at the end, or is there two together? <laughs> yeah. uh, Just spell it. Spell it, Stuart. <laughs> I mean, it's S-P-O-O-P. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That, that's how Spoop I would have suspected, squad. but cool. I... Spoop Squad. So it sounds and, like uh, a podcast after our own heart here at the Flophouse. Yeah. Yes, and and speaking of horror movies and streaming, maybe we can mention the last drive-in again, just to make sure the message gets through for people. Uh huh. Yeah. Let's um, mention it. The last drive-in <laughs> every, every Friday night. At um, we we do we do something that's against the religion of streaming, which is that we have a we have a live feed event where everybody watches at the same time. On yeah, it's really media. cool. So it's um, nine Eastern, six Pacific every Friday night. And you guys did Castle Freak last week with uh, special with, guest Barbara Crampton. With Barbara Crampton. Oh, man, right. that's so cool. And, uh, yeah, she talked about the castle. She talked about living in the castle. And, uh, um, of course, she loves Jeffrey. Sure, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, mean, I uh, There's no Jonathan wait, Fuller they, interview, they, but. Well, you know. <laughs> in the castle while they were shooting the movie. Yes, they were because uh, is 
Charlie Band going to pay for uh, a hotel? <laughs> no, he's not. When no, he has a point. castle. Good point. Yes, yeah, they yeah. lived in the castle. They ate in the castle. Yep. And uh, uh, Full Moon Productions paid him, the owner of Full Moon Productions, to use his castle, <laughs> I'm sure. Right? That's how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> Getting it on both ends there. Uh, but we should move mm, on gross. to letters. Yep. Go on. Uh, our next segment uh-huh. in the podcast. Uh-huh. Where we talk to our yes. listeners, uh-huh. we get letters. It's kind of one way, but sure, yep, yeah. yeah. So this, yeah, Dan, you seem very, you seem very trepidatious about starting this segment. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know why. <laughs> no, it's fine. I would not, I would not waste our guests' time with an overlong song <laughs> okay, that I'm good. making up off the top of my head. Okay, good. So this first letter that might go something like this: We're so excited to have uh, Joe Bob on the program today. <laughs> yes, yes, something we've been waiting for all our lives. <laughs> so <perhaps>. sorry. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Letters are just the icing on the cake of this great day. <laughs> All right, great. I didn't even try for rhymes on that one. I didn't even try to no, rhyme anything. But that's great. That's It kept it tight. Uh, so let's start <laughs> off with this letter from John, first name withheld. Mm-hmm. John Riley from Castle Freak. Who writes? <laughs> <laughs> there are a few animated movies that are, I think, successful psychological thrillers. Perfect Blue, Paprika. Mm-hmm. There are also animated movies that bring the real creeps, Secret of Nim, Watership Down. The former tend to work because they're realistically rendered characters and lean into the surrealism that animation allows, and the latter anthropomorphize cute animals, making them more relatable. And there are, of course, the movies that just make you feel nice and gross and unsettled by the nature of their production quality. Anything Bakshi, Wizard, American Pop, Mighty Mouse. Uh-huh. What horror franchise monster could you see working in animation? Also, what cartoony animated character or character style would work as horror? Is it even possible, or does the nature of cartoon representation strip away too much of what horror needs? Thanks, and remember, noids do not have sex with doodles. Okay, that's good to know. Thanks for telling me that last part. <laughs> wait, I mean, it wasn't wait, me who so told you noids that. Ha- noids have sex with anybody? Uh, I was told you should avoid the Noid. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> certainly if you're a pizza. Like, um, the <laughs> yeah, science knows little about Noids since we've been avoiding them successfully for so long. So, animation. I I mean, I think the first one that comes comes to me is the idea that, like, I feel like the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise would lend itself well to to animated stuff because, like, yeah, it's already pretty, it's pretty, like, fantastic. And also, like, the targeter kids right i feel like maybe it might <coughs> it might fall into the same category i don't know i mean on a mo- on a on an episode hellraiser hellraiser about- would be terrifying with animation sure on an episode oh wow hellraiser really would be terrifying with animation yeah you could take any horror movie give it to a japanese guy it's going to be terrifying and that's true yeah i mean like <laughs> that's the thing like i'm like have they made an animated version of uh uzumaki by chunji ito because that's the oh, scariest wow. drawings be... I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, uh, it, it's I don't. It's not necessarily straight horror, I guess, but like it reminds me of the Aliens cartoon show that they made but never broadcast in the '90s. That was like a pretty straightforward adaptation of Aliens, but for kids with uh-huh. space marines shooting <laughs> for, xenomorphs. You know, but for kids. Yeah, I, but for well, kids. I, was no, say... I never saw this. On a because oh, wow. if you look up if you look online you can find I think the animation demo reel for it but like the they release these aliens toys 
to go with this TV show. And then somebody realized this is a crazy show to put out for kids where it's like aliens bursting out of people's chests and things. Was it based on the success of the Animaniacs, which had the Goodfellas parody, good feathers with birds, (laughs) (laughs) you know, for kids? I, yeah, I have to assume so. Yeah. Uh, I think on an episode that's, um, so, uh, HP Lovecraft centered, I think that a cosmic horror sort of thing could work better in animation maybe than live action because so much of it is based on this sort of as fantastic and unreal as you can get. But also to move to the second question though, about whether something cartoony can be scary. I feel like there've been like a couple of video games, right. That are influenced by old kind of Flesher brother looks like cuphead. And what's the, there's, there's the one that's like a more of a first person thing. I don't know that one. Uh, I've but yeah, Cuphead's Bubble pretty Bobble. terrifying. It's just like the, the You're talking about Kirby? <laughs> no. But they like trade on Excite Bike? No. <laughs> Skate or die? <laughs> I'm yeah. talking about River City Ransom. But it trades on like, oh, yeah, oh, was it wait, Toe Jam and Earl? Is that the one you're talking about? Uh-huh. Sam and Max hit the road is what I, I meant. But it's it, Oh uh, yeah, Battle Toads. Sure, Battle Toads. That's what you mean. It's got that uh like those Flesher Brothers things are so unpredictable and and strange. Like now, now Dan, when you say Flesher Brothers, you mean Fleischer Brothers, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I do mean that. Uh, it's just that the it, it, you don't mean that these are, these are cartoon brothers I haven't heard of who are made out of human flesh, which is not that scary because <laughs> everyone is. You got a point there, Elliot. You mean you mean the Fleischer Brothers who did like Betty Boop and Popeye and and yes. Coco the Clown? Okay. Yes. Uh, that. They were, you know, they were cartoon pioneers and and just sort of figuring out what could be done in cartoons. And because they were figuring out what could be done in cartoons and realized that anything could be done in cartoons, they did deeply weird things. Uh-huh. And I think that uh, that stuff has like an inherent creepiness just because they're manipulating the world in such a strange way. But it also has the creepiness of just old stuff like uh-huh. i feel like old stuff kind of inherently at this point kind of well it's like have you ever looked up pictures of old halloween costumes from like the 1890s yeah. and the 19 teens they're what? terrifying yeah <laughs> they're so I scary mean, archie is now uh attacking our special guest with with love <laughs> i mean wait were the were, i i can only assume that those were uh those halloween costumes were like a plastic bag with uh, the word He-Man written on the chest and then a mask of <laughs> He-Man's face. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the kind of Halloween costume they had at the turn of the century. Yep, sure. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, they, I mean, I, I think there's that- you had a, you actually had a good point because I feel like we, we've we talked about uh, special effects and particularly like very noticeable special effects mm-hmm. when it comes to like uh, digital effects um, that like, true cosmic horror and something that would be very different than like, it would be hard to produce in a way that looks like physical and real might be better in an animated setting. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's like how the, uh, I'm a, I, as you guys know, I'm a big fan of in the mouth of madness, but at the end there's that scene where Sam Neill's running from those monsters and they are scarier for being out of focus Uh because when you look at, when you do as I do and you watch the behind-the-scenes footage of how they made the monsters, they stop being scary because they're just kind of like big, drippy puppets, basically. Mm. And so I wonder if you're right that it has to – if something something that was very alien and almost, and more strange than outwardly scary might work better that way in animation. I don't know. Hmm. Cool. 
Uh, the other thing is, if you guys remember the uh, in the Twilight Zone, the movie in the in the Joe Dante oh, it's yeah, a good life yeah, yeah. section, when she gets trapped in the cartoon and there's just like blood dripping everywhere, it's like oh, that's pretty. That's a pretty scary old Looney Tunes style <laughs> moment. Yeah. Uh, moving on. This next letter is from uh, your dad, Tom. Last name withheld. Uh-huh. Uh, it says, I became a dad about seven months ago. Wait, is it my dad? Because my dad's not named Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Tom well, Noonan? Yeah. <laughs> sort of all. Oh, my dad is my dad is Tom Noonan. Oh, okay, never <laughs> yeah. mind. Yeah, that's... In a way, all of our dads. Uh, I became a dad about <laughs> seven months ago, and I've spent a lot of that time Congratulations. about how woefully unprepared I am for this new phase of my life. I find myself looking back through my memories for key moments that stand out. I'm trying to find a shining star of a dad to guide me. But the image of fatherhood that keeps jumping out to me is Michael Keaton teaching his unborn son to shave in the commercials for my life, a movie I've never <laughs> seen. Uh, that was I remember so well watching the commercials for that and being like, there's no way this is an entertaining movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom asks, uh, Elliot, what's the best piece of parenting advice you got from a movie? Dan and Stu... How much lamer is Elliot since becoming a dad, and would you drop him as a friend if not for the crucial part he plays in your Squarespace ads? <laughs> I feel like Elliot I mean, is exactly as lame as he was. Oh before yeah, he no, that kid. was exactly what I was going to say too. He <laughs> no, was da- always say, lame. Don't say that because uh, uh, Jonah Ray thinks that I'm lame just because I'm a dad, and he—I don't want him to know that I was always lame. No, no, I just blame <laughs> it on my children. I feel like I feel like the great thing about you, Elliot, is you just sort of grew into it. <laughs> like you were. <laughs> <laughs> Always like kind of a, like a a very straight laced elderly man, and then like you became a dad, and it all started. All the pieces fell into place. Oh yeah, I was I was. This is the role I was practicing for, rehearsing for my entire life. I, getting all the all those years that I spent boring my friends by stopping and reading all the historical plaques on statues. It's just, <laughs> it just so that I could bore my children with that. Uh, I've got two answers to this question. Number one, uh, Tom. All the movies that are really sappy and not very good about businessmen who have to spend less time at work and more time with their families, that's essentially true. Even though those movies are not good, it's like that's that's something where it's like, oh, I should spend less time at work and more – like now, less time recording this podcast when I literally could be upstairs eating dinner with my son. But instead, I'm here. I so. mean it's putting Thanks, Dan. You know, Thanks, food Dan. in your son's mouth by uh, – mm-hmm. By getting you paid, but whatever. I mean, fine. but I could, I could literally be putting food in my son's mouth like a mother bird, mm-hmm. chewing it up and and regurgitating it. Yeah, kids uh, like that, right? Kids love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if but if but if I was going to pick a specific scene, I would have to go to the classic parenting movie, Son of Godzilla, where <laughs> Godzilla is teaching Minya how to breathe fire, and all Minya can do is blow smoke rings until Godzilla steps on Minya's tail, and Minya. Breathes fire for the first time, uh-huh. and I don't recommend the physical abuse aspect of that. <laughs> I, that's problematic, yeah, and it's yeah. not something I stand by. But the lesson I take from this is that Godzilla is kind of letting his son try and fail to accomplish something, and then he finds the right way to motivate his son to succeed on his own. And in this case, it's stepping on his tail again. I don't recommend you step on your own child's tail should they have one. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> uh, but like, what if they're, when what if they're like, like a lizard and it just comes off? I mean, that that might help them, you know, fit in more at school if they didn't have that tail anymore. I mean, they grow back; it doesn't just fall off. <laughs> I guess once. that's true. <laughs> that's true. 
Yes. All good points. Uh, and that like uh, my own son, he's just started learning how to read on his own. Yeah. And for a while I was trying to like force him to read books. I'm like, you know how to do this. Read this word for me. And he didn't want to. And instead I just had to give him the motivation of not reading him the one book that he wanted to read that I was really tired of reading him. Mm-hmm. And he the, the novelization of Cars 3. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a Cars-related book. I'll say that. Uh, and so he he found that motivation and he did it. Also, that scene ends with Godzilla rubbing Minya on the head in a way that's super adorable. Yeah. Uh, and when I don't know what it is when you're a dad. You just want to rub your kids on the head. I don't yeah. get what that's about, but it's a feeling I never had before, but I have it now. Yeah. So Son of Godzilla, that it's like the Dr. Spock of movies. All right, we got one last uh, quick email that's uh, no question, but it's interesting. This is from Joe Last Name Withheld. Uh-huh, Joe Lansdale. Who says, ahoy, ahoy, <laughs> Flapperinos. Joe here with a little bit of extra info on The Meg. After listening to episode 275, The Meg, I felt the need to share something the movie didn't have time to get to. In short, if it weren't for Osama bin Laden, the fictional world would never have gotten attacked by The Meg in the first place. Further details. For some reason, I've taken the time to read not only the first novel in the Meg series, but I just finished the second book, The Trench. And who boy, shit got weird. While the first book and the first movie are wildly different from each other, the second book goes down an even stranger path. The accident Jonas Statham was involved in... Mm-hmm. When he couldn't... Wait, why? Okay. When he couldn't save the lives of the men at the beginning of the Meg, yep. was part of a resources race to find special materials at the bottom of the Mariana Trench that was funded by a group led by public enemy number one, uh-huh. Osama bin Laden. Okay. It's a major point of book two that goes uh-huh. kind of ignored as they're too busy trying to contain the once captured Meg that has escaped and is now on the loose. Okay. I could Wait, go captured? on. captured? I thought they killed the Meg. I don't it's know. It's a difference in plot of book to movie, dude. I could get- that, When does that happen? Never. <laughs> I could go on, but I will spare you. Oh, and Stu, uh, oh, sorry, I'll spare you more details until I finish the book, the third Meg Hell's Aquarium. Oh, and Stu, spoiler alert: the Meg totally fights a crocosaurus thingy from Jurassic Park World: The Fallen Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But I, whatever. Uh, blah, <laughs> Dan, blah 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 blah. Dan, blah. you're the one reading the letter. Well, I feel like it falls apart <laughs> at a certain point. You know. The- <laughs> Uh, that sounds exciting, and I'm glad that I uh, that uh, Krakosaurus battle makes you think of me. Thank you yeah. very much, uh, Joe. Last name withheld. All right. So I so guess those are letters. Those were letters. The next part of this podcast, we recommend a movie other than Castle Freak that you think people would like to watch. This is going to be so hard for you, Stuart, because Castle Freak is the movie that you recommend. That's and true. Now it's off limits to you. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this. Okay. Uh, I'm going to. In the in the idea of recommending uh, a horror movie that deals with uh, you know tragedy and loss and trauma that also happens to feature Barbara Crampton, I'm going to recommend. Wait, wait. Uh, 1986's Chopping Mall. Nice. <laughs> a movie that deals with the loss of freedom that we'll have when our <laughs> shopping malls are staffed with uh, robot policemen. Uh, this is uh, a great, I don't know, older, kind of like a trashy horror movie. Uh, it's got a great little performance by Dick Miller from Gremlins, who recently passed mm-hmm. away. Uh, and it has probably my favorite, uh, well, in my top five favorite horror movie scores of all time. Yeah. 
It's got a... Uh, and one of the most misleading titles. Yeah, yeah, You would expect there yeah, to be more... Yeah, there's no ch- chopping, right? <laughs> no, it's mainly just robot attacks. <laughs> and the the, uh, the mall has, like, a Greasy Spoon Diner that has, a uh, like, a chef who, for some reason, is wearing all white clothes, which is perfect to show off all these food stains all over it. <laughs> Let's just say, uh, you know, it's a great movie about a bunch of horny teenagers who get, uh, ba- uh, who get in a battle with a bunch of robots. I feel like it, it that chopping mall also represents a real path not taken for director Jim Winarski, uh-huh. uh, where at <laughs> oh, a certain yeah. point he swerved off the road of low budget horror and science fiction and swerved it to mainly a boobs based <laughs> filmography. And so I kind of wish he had followed the chopping mall muse a little bit farther. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I do know about a career of one Harold Blueberry, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> wait, is that his, that's uh, his uh, de Gur? Yeah, that's uh, one of his. That's I his... think Jim Winorski was always boobs based. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're saying he, he no was denying he himself was with chopping mall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Chopping Mall is pretty boob space, to be honest. I mean, I recommended it, so it probably is. Um, I'll recommend a movie that uh, I haven't seen a lot recently, but I'll recommend a movie that I'm presenting at the Alamo Wow! on April the 23rd. That's a little plug. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's a Terror Tuesday. It's a, a movie called Terror Vision. Uh-huh. Uh, I won't say too much because I don't want to cannibalize what I might say later on, but it's about. <laughs> uh, and so this is less for the uh, the audience's benefit, and more so you don't have to do more work. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, no, no, but I get it, Dan, because uh, this will be listened to by thousands of people, whereas the uh, the the screening will, I guess, what be tens of thousands of people, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people. I just assume <laughs> save that, it for them. I assume that anyone who's coming probably knows who I am from this stupid <laughs> podcast. So. I don't. I've, I don't want to repeat myself too much. It's about a uh, a big. I think old... you misunderstood the point I was making. But you no, know, I get okay. it. I get the point. I thought about it. Wh- but when, it, when was this movie from, Dan? From the eighties. It's about a big old alien monster who comes down uh, to a, because of a cable TV dish uh-huh. and uh, terrorizes uh, folks. It's got a lot of eighties actors like Mary Warnov and uh, oh, John Grease and okay. Diane Franklin and uh, someone online described it as. Um, if someone heard of the idea of an 80s horror cult comedy and tried to make that movie, they might make this movie. Uh, it's a lot sillier than it is scary, but uh-huh. if you like, I don't know, horror comedies at all or like goofy horror or mm-hmm. big makeup effects, this is this will be right up your alley. And yeah, it's, I mean, like everybody less than 90 minutes. If those are not your favorite No, things. they are my favorite yeah. things in the world. That's why I recommended this to be shown. Uh-huh. Have you, have you guys ever done um, Howling 7? No. Howling 7? No. Howling 7. no. Uh, the, the movie that is, killed the Howling franchise. Oh. Uh, is that the one at the Freak Show, or is that a different one? No, this is the one that's filmed in uh, Pioneer Town, California, which is an old B, B, abandoned B-movie western town uh-huh. that had been um, uh, occupied by bikers. Uh-huh. And so one, <laughs> one, one of those bikers got the rights to the to the Howling <laughs> franchise. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, used footage from Howling 4, 5, and 6. Uh-huh. <laughs> and some community theater actors from uh, uh, Palm Springs. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and the uh, country western bar called Pappy and Harriet's, which uh-huh. is a fixture in Pioneertown, California. And it is a uh, werewolf musical uh-huh. with... Uh, with uh, um, uh, line dancing and uh, uh, various uh, 
uh, country western songs that you probably never want to hear again after you hear them one uh-huh. time. Uh, Are they sung with and, like a werewolf and, and voice? It alternates between um, uh, werewolf killings at the Pioneer Town Hotel, uh, in which you never see the werewolf, but you after after, <laughs> a, a, after the after the werewolf is gone, the community theater actors from uh, nearby Palm Springs. Uh, come on and talk about um, how horrible it was. (laughs) And then... uh, So it's like a radio werewolf show. Yeah, and uh, it's one of those, it's one of those train wreck, you you can't, once you see it, you'll want to watch it again immediately because it's just a train wreck. Yeah, yeah. And and using all the uh, local alcoholics from the various bars (laughs) in Pioneer Town. Yeah. And... uh, uh, New Line was so embarrassed uh, when they first they they didn't really release it in theaters and they barely released it on on video, and then it it it, it instantly developed such a bad reputation that they changed it, the title to the Howling New Moon Rising, so that no one would know it was the Howling Seven. But um, I would recommend if you guys haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, it would make an excellent. Episode. I think that maybe we need oh, to put amazing. this on the docket for maybe small timber or something because it doesn't seem yeah, big yeah. enough for. Uh, wow, a whopping one point eight uh, star rating on IMDb out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how easy it is to get the rights to a film franchise because that and like a while back we did this sequel to Easy Rider that someone did because they got the rights somehow to the easy rider yeah. franchise like <laughs> it makes me wonder if i should be trying harder to get the rights to film franchises it doesn't seem that hard i, I wow. think the howling people who i think were in australia i mean uh, something yeah. I, I sort of that remember that sense. i think the howling people just had a rate card uh-huh. it's just you know, uh-huh. if you want it take it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's get the munchies franchise guys yeah 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 sure but well okay we got to get munchies critters ghoulies Finally have them all in the same movie. Uh-huh. It'll be the Avengers of little things. The puppet master yeah, and, will show up. Yeah, and Dollman goes after him. Yeah, uh, that's perfect. Yeah, Doll- <laughs> they have to stop Dollman from destroying the universe. <laughs> yeah, Dollman's the bad guy in this one. Mm-hmm. So, Joe Bob, um, do you want that to be your recommendation? Or do you have yeah, a solid yes, recommendation? Howling right. 7. Howling 7. You, all right. you can't go wrong with Howling 7. Elliot. Uh, sim- similarly... Uh, I'll I'll recommend a movie that I I watched uh, recently after having seen it as a baby. Wow! Uh, but not having seen it as an adult. This was my parents would tell me this was the first movie that they took me to in the theaters when I was a baby, and I finally got to see it. And similarly, it's a scare. It's a movie about the scariest thing of all: aging beyond your time and having nothing but your memories. That's right. It's Atlantic City, directed by Louis Maul, <laughs> starring Burt Lancaster and Susan Sarandon. <laughs> and. Uh, it's, Sounds it's horrifying. It's, it's Susan Sarandon is in the chilling tale of a woman training to be a blackjack dealer in Atlantic City, whereas Burt Lancaster is an aging former, very low-level mobster, and the two of them find each other uh, in each other's lives uh, and basically get involved in a low-level crime, and there's uh, consequences to pay for it. And it doesn't work out exactly the way that I expected and in a way that I, I really liked it a lot. It's written by... Uh, the playwright John Guare, who most people know from Six Degrees of Separation, I know from a speech he gave to my class at NYU that I found <laughs> gave, had very bad advice in it that I found a little insulting. Uh, but uh, I really uh, liked it a lot. Atlantic City. Cool. 
Great. Four solid recommendations, all <laughs> or, terrifying. Or, or terrifying tales of the macabre and also legalized gambling. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's great. Um, I feel like we've kept our special guest longer than we anticipated. Way longer. So yeah. apologies to him, but thanks very much for being here. Uh, we enjoyed it so much. Um, do you have any final words? Being here. Um, I would just say in reference to Atlantic city, I just came back from Atlantic city uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and and you didn't, you didn't note that that movie, which was made in 1978 was the ghetto Atlantic city, uh-huh. the Atlantic mm-hmm. city where everything had fallen into disrepair. Oh, okay. It was well, back when it you was could, like, I should do the remake right now. What what's it like? I haven't I haven't been there in a few years, <laughs> but it's oh again? the half the casinos have closed. Oh, you know, yeah. Uh, I went to a horror con that was in the old showboat casino uh-huh. because there's oh, nothing really? in the old showboat oh, casino. Oh wow! <laughs> and the, so you know you, it was it was. You know, it's, remember Bert, Bert Lancaster? He has a great line in the movie where he says something like, "He's looking at the Atlantic Ocean and he says, yeah the." The Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, it used to be great in the old days, the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> well, the, I, I watch it, and, and so much of the movie is them being like, ah, oh, you should have been here for the old Atlantic City. It used to be better. And then I saw there's an, uh, an Anthony Bourdain episode where he's in Atlantic City shot – you know, 30 some odd years after this movie. And they're all saying the same thing. They're like, oh, you should have been here for the old Atlantic City. Like nobody, Atlantic City, it's hard for me to believe there ever was a time it was not run down. That anyone ever looked at Atlantic City and said, I should base a board game on it. <laughs> <laughs> that seems crazy to me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. funny. Guys, this has been really fun. Uh, before we go, we should say, as we always do, check out MaximumFun.org, our network, our podcasting network. Mm-hmm. Not ours, but the one we're part of. Uh, for other great shows, tweet about us, write yeah. reviews on iTunes, preferably good ones. If you have bad things to say, why not just not take the effort? <laughs> yeah. Check out uh, check out The Last Drive-In on Shudder on Friday nights. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a card-carrying uh, Shudder subscriber. We still have our subscriber. marathons up that we did last summer. Oh, that's great. awesome. Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, great. Yeah. I'm yeah, that's it's uh, of the many streaming services I have. That's uh, probably my favorite, and also the one my wife uses the least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. So uh, we should sign off. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. Glad to have finally lived one of my dreams of talking about a dumb movie with Joe Bob Briggs. Very excited. Thanks, guys. All right. Good night, everyone. Bye. I think my favorite was when uh, Stuart realized that Nicolas Cage, who is also a running reference in the show, was the original castle freak and that he is a freak for buying castles. That was me. Stop, that was, I, Stop giving away I my best Stuart. material. I mean, I didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't say it, but when Dan said it and then I realized it when his words <laughs> hit my ears, that's what you mean, right, Elliot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. All right, let's. Uh, Dan, I'm, Dan, I'm sorry. I was. I guess I was just got because of all the jokes you do on Twitter. I didn't think you were capable of writing <laughs> a joke that good. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.